Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The home of endurance racing. RadioLeMans.com. Listening to Mobile One, Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM, and around the world at RadioLeMans.com. Good to have your company. I'm John Hindoff, Shea Adam, one of our Nismo Pit Lane team, and Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Join me as we take a look at the 2015 Le Mans 24 hour field, and we are looking in this programme at the cars at the sharp end, and frankly, unless there is some unbelievable oddity. The winner should come from the cars that we are talking about in this programme. It's the LMP1s, the hybrids and the privateers, the, I suppose you could call them thoroughbreds, the cars that are built with one thing in mind and one thing only, that is to exploit the regulations and go as fast as they can for as long as they can. Hopefully somewhere near 24 hours. And a field, lady and gentlemen, that this year, to use one of your phrases, Graham. Is mouth-watering. Uh, it's fabulous. I think it's the best LMP1 field ever, um, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, in the uh, in the th- era of the current regulations, and by that I mean uh, since the turn of this century. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think not only is it the best field ever, I think it's the most competitive field ever. Uh, we have three factory teams easily capable of winning this race on a combination of pace, reliability and efficiency. And that's a word you'll be hearing a lot of through the 24 hours of the uh, of Le Mans this year. Plus uh, a supporting cast, which includes what I believe is the most widely anticipated and exciting race car of the century so far. Uh, and Graham has mentioned the word there, efficiency share because not only is this a hugely competitive field it's a hugely technologically relevant field i have gone on record to say that these are the most technologically advanced racing cars anywhere in the world i believe that to be true but it is technology that is relevant with a rule set that the fi and the aco have come up with that have made these four factories interested and take very different routes to answer the question of go fast go long the question for most of us sitting on the sideline has been two, four, six, or eight, and we've gotten answers to each of those. So it will be the true testament. How many megajoules is the right amount? And it's not only how many you go for that determines your fuel rate, but we're going to see differences across the board in every single way that you've been given a, a set of regulations and said, okay, go play with it. And we have four incredibly different answers to that. Whichever one comes out on top, we'll find out in about a week and a half's time. Now, we'll talk about the factory teams, the works teams in a wee while, but intermingled uh, on these multi-hundreds of million euro entries from factories, uh, including Toyota, Porsche, Audi and Nissan, are a couple of plucky privateers, Graham. Now, no longer in a different category. There is no separate... um, 
no separate podium for these guys. I suspect that we will end up calling them P LMP1 bis. Uh, that is the the French way of saying alongside or adjacent to. Because frankly, whatever the ACO and the FIA think, these cars from Team by Collis and by Rebellion Racing aren't actually in the same category as the other teams. They're not on um, certainly the amount of investment and finance that has been put into it. And they're not on performance, and and that is absolutely not a criticism of those guys, but they're not playing with the same deck of cards. Uh, no, they're not. They've had the Kings, Queens and the Jacks taken out, I'm afraid, <laughs> uh, in this case. But that's not to take away anything from the, from the effort. Let's just remind ourselves that uh, one of the two teams... Rebellion Racing managed to finish not with the car we'll be seeing this this year, but just not that long ago, fourth overall, um, with you know with reliability and instance for uh, lack of reliability and some instance for the factory teams just a few years ago. So you know the extraordinary is not out of the question, but you have to say that coming into this race, that probably I think it would be fair to say that the three privateer cars this year are probably less well prepared for the rigors ahead than perhaps we've seen in previous years well let's uh, let's get started with those two i mentioned team by collis they are a full season entrant to the fia world endurance championship as are all bar three cars um one from each of three of the manufacturers will come to the works cars in a way white team by collis clm p1 uh, slash or one Dash AER, Natalie, um, has its basis in uh, a chassis that we've seen before. The drivers are uh, Swiss uh, entrant uh, or Swiss license holder Simon Trummer, Pierre Kaffer, uh, German license holder, and Diego Montaro, uh, world touring car driver, TCR driver, and uh, sometime endurance driver as well. First of all, team by Collis have had, with respect to them, somewhat of a chequered history uh, they if you remember in a different iteration a couple of years ago had me standing out in front of their garage for quite some time while various members of the uh, local uh, bailiwick were trying to reclaim parts of their cars subject to a court order uh, it is Colin Collis uh, and his team there have been links to other teams in the past where does this team stand, first of all, as it comes to Le Mans this year, Graham, in its team structure? Uh, in the okay, team structure, this is a renamed team this year, the team by Collis. It was Lotus LMP the last time we saw the outfits. Uh, the AR engines carried over from last year. The chassis is carried over from last year. No Lotus name or branding aboard the cars this year, but it is effectively the same package, albeit, I gather, with development, the bodywork for... Uh, for Le Mans, uh, they had a trouble at the test day. Were rather off the pace, but had uh, but but uh, but looking and maybe a little closer than we, we expected. But had a blowout on the rear left, which took out the one complete set of bodywork that they had for the test. So their test was over pretty early on. Um, they've been in both of the races we've had so far in the WEC, but have failed to finish either. So when we get to talk about Rebellion, you'll understand why that is significant. They've not been able to take advantage of, uh, if you like, uh, an open goal um, in the privateer stakes and arrive here with uh, a rather Norwegian-looking nul point. And um, <laughs> you know what? I love racing. I love privateer teams. But these guys have got to do this better. 
Uh, it's as simple as that. The, you, they're a full come. season entrant in the FIAWAC, so they get an automatic entry, Graham. Um, I, I, I can't say this without sounding like I'm criticising the team. I'll be honest, I think there are other people on the reserve list who would do more with the entry than they will. Uh, tragically, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, with absolute respect to the guys, I know working very hard to get make oh, yes. this car work and work better. And with perfect, absolute respect to the three drivers, the one I think all of us know best is probably Pierre Kaffer, and he dosses Captain Owell in terms of his level of professionalism. Mm. They deserve better. Yes. And I don't quite know what's gone wrong here. Um, it does seem to have been a rather stop-start effort with the emphasis too many times uh, on the stop with smoke pouring out of it. Um, but it's it's become almost cartoon-like in its ability to underperform. And Graham, well, there were such high hopes for this project because, am I right in saying this originally was meant to be um, uh, the chassis or something to that um, original new P2 Coupe chassis that we expected to see from the organisation? Then it was... Conf- uh, converted back to an a uh, to a p1 and i mean it, it's they've just been yes, all over no, the place they originally ran lolas um some little while ago with judd engines then convert uh, changed over to their new what was then called at lotus t128 i think it was chassis designed by a company called Ades. that was the relationship that went wrong which had you um you know uh pointing a microphone in the direction of some bailiffs a couple of years ago um we then as you quite rightly said, John, they moved up to P1 with what were not the same chassis, but ones that looked terrifically like those chassis to the extent that Sam Collins, and I bow to Sam here in his uh, ability to recognise yep. difference um, in terms of a race car, thought they were the same chassis. They're not because those chassis are with another team, not at Le Mans this year. Uh, so they've, in effect, got a very similar chassis with or without the permission of the original um, rights holders to that intellectual property. Um, I've put in the, it has to be said, pretty impressive, uh, impressively powerful uh, V6 twin turbo AER engine into the back of that car, but never really have seen, seemed to get the, the, um, the balance and the handling right, and certainly have not got reliability into that car. And yeah, you know what? I hope they do better. I'd like to see that car coming home, but rather irritatingly, and I hate myself for saying it, I think if you ask yourself one of those pre-race questions, who's going to win, you know, who's going to win the classes and who's going to be the first retirement, I'm afraid this car is pretty high up on the list that you might well put in that last bracket. Which is a shame, as Graham rightly says, Shea, for uh, a set of drivers that include Thiago Montero, no uh, rabbit at all there, Pierre Kaffer knows his way around this circuit as well, and perhaps the the least well-known, Simon uh, Trummer. Take the first two first. Thiago, of course, um, has raced at world championship level in, in world touring cars. He has, and Formula One, 37 starts there. He has a Le Mans history. This will be his fifth time at the circuit. He's finished fourth, which is a lot better than he can hope from this year, sadly. Um, Pierre Kaffer is a genius behind the wheel of a car. No matter what you put him in, that man will go quickly. He's been racing a lot in America in a Ferrari. This is his opportunity to get back to prototypes. And I saw him at the test day. He still had a smile on his face, even when their day was done. He Very was, good development driver. He really is. And he was just happy to be there. He knows that it's not a chance for him to get another, a win. 
it, or another win in terms of class win because he's already got one of those. But he's realistic. He understands that I'm here to do a job and, you know, it, it's not the dream job. The uh, third driver in the car is the rookie, which is the interesting part because Simon is the only one who's driven the race, the car in the race before. Even though it's two DNFs, he's the only driver that they've carried over through the first two races of the season. But Antonio Luizzi, not on this list. He's the other one who's been there. That was a bit of an interesting uh, moment when they chose not to go with him, and I kind of wonder the politics behind that. As you said, Graham, absolutely nothing the matter with the donkey, as the as the uh, the terminology in the pit lane is for the engine. And in fact, the choice of AER engine is echoed by the other privateer teams in LMP, the 12 and 13 car of uh, Swiss entered but very much British run Rebellion Racing with their... Uh, bespoke Rebellion R1AER. And, and ironically, talking about the engine, it was the change to that engine that has caused some wars at the start of the season that means we will only see this car racing for the first time at Le Mans. Uh, quite right. I mean, we've been used to seeing Rebellion racing with the uh, the Lolas, uh, the car that took them to fourth place just a couple of years ago. Then the Rebellion R1 appeared with a Toyota V8, V8 customer V8, not the same engine as we'll see in the, in the factory cars. It's fair to say the team were underwhelmed with the performance. That relationship with T, TMG and Cologne ended not particularly happily, and an engine change was inevitable at the end of the year. believe they had a bit of a dalliance with a rebadged Audi V8, uh, that's the, in, in effect the DTM engine, and the decision to change finally to the AR came too late to start the season. Um, for those uh, not well-versed in these things, changing from a normally aspirated to a turbo engine, in fact, any change to an engine in a prototype car is not the work of a moment. But in, in, certainly in the case of a turbo engine, it does require a completely different cooling setup, which has an effect on the aero, and that's taken time. Uh, it's taken time enough to count them out from Silverstone and from Spa. They don't hold any disadvantage in the championship because, as I said earlier, by Collis haven't scored. But what they do hold a disadvantage with is there's been precious little time to test these cars before they arrive uh, here at the Le Mans 24 Hours. Uh, they had the almost inevitable new car niggles um, when the cars were here at test day. Uh, the team tell us that uh, the niggles they've had are understood and already fixed. Uh, I think they've got a long, hard race ahead of them. Uh, you know, what they can't guarantee, I'm afraid, this year is is what, you know, you could have uh, counted more on in the past, which is a clean run and taking advantage as others falter. Uh, it's what they can hope for. Um, and I guess they've got one carrot, and we'll talk about that carrot, I'm sure, when we come to the factory cars, because... There is one of those four factories in a not dissimilar situation yeah. with a very new car yes. that's got no race mileage underneath it. And I think one of the expectations is if one or other of the teams are talking, we're talking here about Nissan, uh, has a troubled race, then we could find ourselves in a bit of a battle for honours somewhere in the top 10 or the top 20. And that's something to look forward to. Mm. I mean, it's, it's always good for any team, whether it's a factory team, John, or a privateer team, to have a target to shoot for. Yes. And my guess would be that if I was Bart Hayden and the crew at the moment, I'd be looking very carefully at the form of the rapidly developing Nissan. The 12 car has a lineup that 
is not too surprising. Nicola Prost, uh, son of Alan, uh, multiple world drivers champion in Formula One. Nick Heidfeld and Matthias Besch, the Swiss driver. Those three we've seen uh, at Rebellion. In the second car, Alexander Imperatori, who made a big splash towards the end of last year in KCMG in LMP2 and drove absolutely outstandingly uh, in some of the flyaway races for us. Dominic Kreiheimer uh, and Daniel Apt. And Daniel Apt in there is interesting and that might well just underline the potential link to Audi that we might have uh, have seen with the DTM engine because, of course, the Apt family inextricably linked with DTM, Audi uh, in particular. Um, share that the first car, the 12 car, is a driver lineup which is which is impressive. I'm just not sure the car is going to live up to the expectations at this race. The good news is we'll see them at least Nico and, and Nick for the for the rest of the uh, the FIAWEC season. But I mean, summarise their achievements. Those three drivers. That could take a while. Uh, <laughs> you you look at Nick Heidfeld alone, F1 for ever and ever and ever throughout my childhood growing up at the very least. Sorry, Nick, hate to say that out loud. Um, He was an ALMS P1 vice champion in 2013, most recently, with Rebellion Racing. Um, His best finish, though, fourth, as Graham rightly said. It was first in the P1 BIS class, if you put it that way. But still, he would like to get a little bit better up that list. Nicola Prost, same thing, fourth twice for him in 2012 and 2014. He has Petit Le Mans wins over in the, the States. He won the Formula E race in Miami earlier in the year. He has been busy. Matthias Best finished was second with uh, Thierry in P2 back in 2012. He also has been on the podium and looks to get back. But all three of those guys, very realistic, understanding that they don't have a really solid chance at getting up in the top five unless some terrible thing happens to the majority of the cars we'll be speaking about later in the program. And that's a shame for those drivers, Graham, because that you would look at that as the A car of rebellion. But I also think it's a shame for the thirteen: Alex Imperatori, Dom Kreiheimer, and and Dan Abt. Uh, Alex is for me one of the most exciting uh, new talents that we've seen of of a, of a number of new talents that have exploded into prototype racing in the last few years, and his racecraft is beyond compare. He was very, very good aboard the KCMG Orica last year. He's one of, is another theme that we'll be developing through this show, John, uh, Swiss. Hop Swiss. Uh, indeed, Swiss uh, racing drivers, as is, of course, Matthias Besch. And this is a Swiss flag team member, although operating out the UK under the Super Automotive banner and, uh, and uh, Bart Hayden. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, Alexander uh, has turned a few heads. He's done most of his racing across in Asia. KCMG was his bridge back, if you like, and uh, been picked up by Rebellion in the 13 car. Different liveries, by the way, for these cars, and indeed for the Bicolas. It was gunmetal grey uh, colours for the uh, for the Bicolas number four car. The 12 car carries a principally white livery with the Swiss flag on the uh, great honking rear fin. And the number 13 car is a kind of, how do you describe this one, Shay? It's a kind of metallic cherry red. Very, very bright, like a stop sign, because it's got the red and the white lettering. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Candy another, another little bit of history, actually. I'm not sure, and this is one to, for the uh, for the listeners to kind of uh, engage with. Daniel Abt, I think, is Christian Abt's nephew? Is that right? 
I know that there's a family. It is the family, sure. Uh, so I'm pretty certain Christian is its father. I think it, Daniel is Christian's nephew. We've got a terribly many family connections in LMP1. And, of course, Christian Abt was an Audi factory driver in 99 and 2000. So, um, you know, over a period of 15, 16 years... Correct. Uh, it's his a, uncle. You're right. It's absolutely right. A, a family connection uh, in LMP1 uh, in the modern era. That's not something I can't recall as ever having that before, but I may be wrong. I'd be happy to be corrected. Uh, so if that is rebellion, then Graham alluded to the fact that they might well be uh, running against Nissan Motorsports. Now, why is that the case? Well, Nissan are the newest factory team to be seduced by the regulations of the FIA and the ACO, which is looking for clever solutions to efficiency. Go fast. Go really fast. Uh, no restriction on how much power your engine can make but what we're going to do is restrict the amount of energy that you get from your engine within any given time in this case a lap of Le Mans all the calculations are based on the eight and a half miles lap of Le Mans now how you do that is left very open as well Hybrid technology has been the buzzword in motorsport for quite some time. And the way that the FI and the ACO have gone about it in sports cars is distinctively different from any other form of motorsport. Because, for the most part, they have left the decisions up to the entrance, to the manufacturers, to the clever people, the car designers. And you heard... Shea saying earlier on, is it two, is it four, is it six, is it eight? We're not talking about the Tom Robertson band here, but we are talking about the levels of megajoule energy that the teams elect to use in addition to their internal combustion engine. Now, why is that important? Because that changes the amount of fuel you are allowed to use on your internal combustion engine. Clearly, the less... Uh, megajoule energy you use gives you a little bit more fuel. The more you use gives you a little bit less. Getting that balance right for the technology that you choose, which, by the way, is also pretty much left up to the designers and the clever people, getting that balance right, getting the place where the two lines on the graphs intersect, that is the clever way of going about it. And in this openness has allowed Toyota, Audi, Porsche and now Nissan all to look at these regulations and come up with four distinctively different solutions, both in internal combustion engine and hybrid systems, that they feel are relevant to them. And more importantly, nowadays, when motor racing has to be justified at a boardroom level, is relevant to their road car range. Indeed, Toyota have recently decided to fund this motor part of their motor racing strategy from road car research and development. That's how important it is. So Nissan are new to this, and Nissan, Graham, have done something that no one else has done. They are the newcomers here. They've decided not to follow the lead of the other three teams and build what might be cons- what we might call a traditional LMP1 car, which would be very low-slung, um, with the engine at the back driving the rear wheels, hybrid systems, now all-wheel drive. Nissan have gone about this completely differently. Well, let me give you a little bit of a a background story here, John. Um, I was first exposed to the detail of this program. Um, There are all sorts of rumours, but first exposed to the confirmed detail of this program. Uh, The day after the Cota race in the WEC last year 
where we, we uh, myself and uh, Marshall Pruitt. September, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, yes, indeed. I think it might have been the 1st of October. Uh, were taken along to where the team at that stage was based. We saw the car in mock-up version. We saw the first two chassis. And then they showed us the renders of the car. And two things then happened. Marshall Pruitt said, oh, my God, and my jaw hit the table. Um, it's uh, it, it just turns everything on its head. Well, it's, it turns everything back to front, actually, and, and yeah. li- literally, because what Ben Bowlby, who is the Nismo um, Director of Innovation uh, and has a huge amount of championships and race wins uh, in his design portfolio, what he has done, he's looked at the regulations and he has seen an opportunity for Nissan to do something different. Not just for the sake of it, Graham, but... Ultimately, they're playing catch-up on somebody like Audi. Audi have been going to Le Mans Absolutely. since 1999 and have invested an awful lot of money in it. So the thought process to start with is if we do the same thing as Audi, we're going to have to be very, very good to be as good as them. Is there another way that we can challenge them? Let's look at a different way of doing it and then find the way to do it. And there's been a... I think very interesting way of looking at particularly the air rule regulations, which has basically been the driving factor, pun absolutely intended, in everything that that car stands for. Correct. I mean, so starting from the front and working backwards, this car is front wheel drive. The one bit of the plan that uh, that we should see in year two for this car that had to be abandoned for this year is that we will not have drive to all four wheels. It was designed initially to have two hybrid systems, one driving the rear wheels. Uh, That would be two independent systems. Yeah. Uh, So that part of the the package, unfortunately, has just proved to be beyond uh, delivery at this point. So we've got a front-wheel drive car with a front engine, a V6 twin turbo, Three-litre displacement. Yep, fabulous-sounding thing it is, too. Mounted behind the engine is the Flybrid hybrid system, a uh, mechanical uh, flywheel system. Uh, Then the cockpit, and not a lot behind, it has to be said. Because the gearbox is in front of the engine. So when we say we've turned this around, they have literally turned the car around 180 degrees. So rather than have the gearbox hanging out over the back wheels, the gearbox is on the front axle, the engine is behind it. So whilst we're talking about this as a front engine car, think of this as a mid-front engine car. Yeah, Or a front-mid-engine car, because the engine is a long way back. It's not sitting over the wheels the gearbox is. Hence, the gearbox drive shafts come out into the front wheels and front wheel drive. You've then got the other part of it, which is not the bit in front or behind, but underneath. And this is where, John, I think you were talking about the aero uh, concept behind uh, the Nissan. And, you know, look at this from behind with the rear bodywork removed. It shifts air through that car on what I can only describe as an industrial scale. Uh, You have never seen tunnels like this on a sports car. And this is, I guess, more than the headline-making aspects of this car, this is probably the most revolutionary part of it, in that it is a completely and fundamentally different error approach than anything that has gone before. 
And that we saw, even in the very early running for this car in public at the test day, has one fundamental effect, and that is that this car is, by some distance, the fastest car this year in a straight line. And that is with a huge power and energy disadvantage to its competitors. Now, why would Nissan do this? Just to be contrary? Well, no, I've said that in the first place. Although, in fairness, we know that they have looked, they always do look at things uh, differently in the same way as uh, Audi live by their Vorsprung Dirk technique, forward through uh, technology or advancing through technology. Then, um, innovate to excite has been the byword for Nissan for a few years now. The choice of this setup, Graham and Cher, is down to the fact that the aero regulations at the back of the car are probably the most proscriptive part of a set of regulations that we've said already are quite broad. Most of the rear end in terms of the rear wing and more importantly the diffuser underneath the back of the car, the aerodynamic device underneath the car, is pretty much written in stone. There's not that much advantage you can get from it. And also, the aero that you create at the back, the downforce, the sucking effect into the road that you get from the back of the car is actually not that efficient. It creates a lot of drag, stops you going fast in a straight line um, quite a lot. And in Le Mans with a lot of straight line, very fast bits, um, that's quite important. So to be able to develop the front end where downforce comes at a much lesser penalty to the drag has been, again, the inspiration behind this design. And part of that was moving what's called the centre of pressure forward, also moving the weight forward, and therefore has made Ben Bolby and his design team, Graham and Shea, look at things differently, and hence that's why we've got front-wheel drive for packaging purposes. It also means that the arrow at the back that you can influence, i.e. the rear deck, uh, behind the cockpit, and indeed um, the, even the angle of the rear wing, you can manipulate that to make the car very slippery and hence the high top speeds. In terms of the hybrid system, they've gone for an up to 2 megajoule system, which means not their original plan. Their original plan was up to 8 megajoules. With, now, megajoules is energy, but when translated into power, the hybrid system was showing in simulation to produce 1,600 horsepower from the hybrid systems, from two hybrid systems, one flywheel-based system, another system that we haven't had the details of, driving the rear wheels. 1,600 horsepower from the hybrid alone. They haven't got that. They've got a fraction of that, possibly not even a quarter, because they're only using one system. They've got a very efficient 3-litre turbocharged engine for something in the region of 470, horsepower, possibly another couple of hundred horsepower on top of that from their flywheel-based system, which is different from Audi, and we'll come on to that later, because it is more direct system. They do get less losses, in fairness. So we're looking at something, Graham... What, around 650, 700 horsepower for this car, which sounds okay, but when everyone else has got 11, 1200 horsepower and above, their ability to have put in fastest straight line speeds at Le Mans in the test already proves to me that the design concept and the low drag concept is already proven. Well, I think uh, we'll wait and see about just what's been proven when we get to. Uh, this car actually racing. 
Well, well, it certainly is, is true about this car. It is, as I said before before we started, I think it's the most exciting thing on the grid. It's certainly the one that the public want to see, and uh, never more so than the 21 car in an inspirational um, you know, interpretation of the 1990 Nissan's uh, pole-setting livery. But um, the key thing here is going to be how much of the time that the car was losing around the turns can they grab back, and they're testing... Uh, at the Bugatti circuit this week between uh, the test date and the race. And more to the point, John, because this is a very new car, niggles are almost inevitable. How serviceable is that car? Because that is where you're going to lose time. If a small niggle means that you're going to be in the garage for 10, 20, 30 minutes or more, then that's where you're going to lose your track position pretty darn rapidly yeah. it's very very early days i'll say this about the nissan no one's laughing about this there's an awful lot of people not anybody who f- knows not anybody no. who knows uh taking, taking a very close look at mm-hmm. it and anybody that is silly enough to judge the potential here on the performance we saw last weekend at the test day or even i should say across the first le mans 24 hours i think will be making a big mistake um the Driving talent, uh, some are drawn from various of the GT Academy graduates that Nissan have been uh, involved in. Uh, The 21 car has Shugo Matsuda, uh, Mark Schultzitsky drafted in at relatively late notice. uh, Mark, the Russian driver who won one of the GT Academies. uh, First Russian LMP1 driver, John. First Russian LMP1 driver and uh, replacing Mark Janier, who's taking a more ambassadorial role, along with the first GT Academy winners, Lucas Ordonez, the Spanish driver. Harry Tinknell brought in from Jota Sport, Michael Crum who is just the ultimate professional, uh, been playing his trade in Japan. Alex Bunkham, once described to me as uh, the secret weapon, no secret anymore, very quick in anything. And then the third car with Olivier Platt, finally getting a manufacturer drive that he's deserved for a long time. Max Chilton, uh, who started in sports cars, or at least in his early career had a sports car uh, outing with his brother, drove a... Well, in fact, it was a Zytec, wasn't it? It's a, yeah, it's Ginetta Zytec. A yep. Ginetta Zytec, and uh, drove that car very quickly indeed. Obviously, most recently, he's been um, in Formula One, although not at the sharp end of the grid. And Jan Mardenbrot, uh, another GT Academy graduate. Interesting selection of drivers and how they've put them together. But I would say, share that there's a good mix of youth and experience in each of those three cars. There is, and uh, notably the only uh, P1 team without a Swiss driver, which is something (laughs) I noticed a few minutes ago. And Mark Schulzitzki might be the first silver to ever start in the P1 class. He was drafted in rather late. He does have experience at Le Mans, having run last year with uh, Jan Mardenbrough and Alex Brundle. But he got put into the seat rather late, handling it like a champ. He is proving that he deserves to be there. Uh, alongside Lucas Ordonez, you you can't go wrong with him. He's already at his fifth Le Mans. He might be the first silver in a works car, but um, um, might well be the first silver in a works car. But certainly Nick Leventis, exactly with Stracker, with Stracker Racing was, yeah. was a silver. Uh, yeah. But you're right; it's extremely unusual. But you know, there's been you know, words said about the, the driver selection too. But just looking at those those squads, the 21 car, which is the Le Mans only car, uh, Sergio Matsuda is the reigning Super GT champion and as you've heard on Radio Le Mans 
Dotcom coverage of the Super GT races, those cars not far short, and in some places actually uh, better performing prototype cars because that's what they are. They're, they may have silhouette bodies, but they're a prototype type chassis. Uh, Sergio Matsuda, last year's Super GT champion, Mark Shlotsitsky, a highly rated uh, Russian driver who's done some great stuff in LMP2. Look at Sardanez, who's won races in GT cars and prototypes. Harry Tinknell, reigning LMP2 champion from Le Mans last year with Joe DeSport, of course. Michael Crum, rather oddly, we talked a little while ago about uh, Christian Abt in the works Audi. Michael Crum shared that, that car with him. So Michael's been around for a long, long time. Alex Buncombe, who just seems to get better and better and better. Uh, was it two weeks ago? I was at Silverstone watching inputs a GT3 Nissan GTR on pole. And uh, it'll be trying to get as close as he possibly can to that with its LMP1 big sister. And, uh, if this you, weekend. and if you don't know who Alex Buncombe is, go look up online, whatever search engine you'd like, whatever video you'd like. Monza 2014. Oh, yeah. One lap. He passed 16 yeah. cars. <laughs> at Monza. Then we got Olivier Pla. Olivier Pla, I think, one of the quickest men in any car anywhere, uh, you know, if all of the things were equal. Max Chilton, I think, is going to surprise a few people. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, uh, you know trash talk about... Uh, somebody coming from the back end of the Formula One grid into this team. I think Max is rather better than people um, were giving uh, discredit for. And uh, I think I'm right in saying, did he not w- uh, finish every race he started in his last season of Formula One, John? Yes. I've got a funny feeling he did, which, let's face it, in this car, at this point in its career, is a skill well worth yeah, true, having. True, true. And, y- and Jan Mardenborough, um, well, there are GT Academy winners and GT Academy winners and uh, we're going to see some stars emerging. And Lucas Dennis was the first. Jan Bardenborough, most certainly the second, uh, is alongside his WEC uh, programme this year, GP3 again, already a race winner in that uh, single-seater formula. Um, I wish them all well. This has been a long, hard road, and it deserves everybody's support uh, in you know, hoping that we get beyond even the two-year commitment that's already been made yes. by Nissan. Um the other thing I will say on this before we take a, a short break and then uh, return with the three manufacturers who have been to Le Mans uh, before under these set of regulations is something that we've been saying for a while with the WEC coverage. This Le Mans is a Le Mans for the ages. These cars are potentially are record breakers. We could see the lap record that Peugeot set with the 900, 1,000 horsepower beasts with huge amount of horsepower and huge tyres. We could see that go this year if the conditions are right and somebody wants to do it. An 18, a three-minute 18 is entirely achievable uh, by the these cars. We might see something closer to 15, perhaps even better than that. Remember that after Le Mans, the SDO and the FIA set the performance levels for the next 12 months right through till after the next Le Mans. The th- theory behind that is that you might sandbag anywhere in the season you will always try your hardest at Le Mans to win the big event it's a stroke of genius by the rules makers and the data that they collect after Le Mans will then go into the big computer and the next set of regulations in terms of the equalization of technology as they call it will be set out for the next 12 months I'll tell you now I think the speeds of these cars and the lap times of these cars will mean that we will not see these cars in the same 
set of performance parameters for the rest of this WE season and the first part of next year and right through past next year's Le Mans. Why do I make that point now? Because what will be more and more important is not the internal combustion engine, not perhaps even how good your hybrid system is, even if you're at the 8 megajoule class, but the efficiencies that you can make elsewhere. And as we've already seen uh, from Nissan's performance at the test day, far from being disappointing, they were the fastest car in a straight line without the power of the other manufacturers. Therefore, they are efficient. In a straight line, they're efficient. And it means that what they have majored on, that aerodynamic efficiency will become more important, which is perhaps a stroke of serendipity for them. But it means as the regulations are amended through to the end of Le Mans next year, they might find themselves with an advantage they weren't expecting. So laugh at your peril at the Nissan GT-RLM this year because you might be looking at something that is the future of our sport. You're listening to a Mobile One Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM around the circuit and around the world at RadioLeMans.com. Back with Toyota, Audi and Porsche next. RadioLeMans.com This year marks my fourth trip to the 24 Hours Le Mans, which is still something kind of hard to get my head around, but there are a lot of people out there who have yet to make their first time to the track, and if you have not been yet, get on a plane, get on a train, drive your car, do whatever you have to do to be here. And if there's a place to stay, it has to be with travel destinations. I'm not just saying that because Richard is sitting next to me. Of course you are. I'm saying that because I have seen the camping accommodations. And quite frankly, it's not like any hotel I've ever stayed in before. It's nicer. And you don't provide camping so much as you do a luxury experience yeah well we do everything to be honest you know we we can provide everything from the most basic through to the most luxurious so um although the most luxurious at le mans is it's all relative you know there's no five-star hotels in le mans so you're you're not going to get that so but what we what we're able to do is offer a, a different product for different people so it doesn't matter where you're coming from um we look after a lot of people from the uk yes we do of course that's our our home audience if you like Um, but we are increasingly seeing people coming from worldwide we take uh, a lot of guests now coming to join us from the us from canada Um, we're seeing a lot of people coming from australia new zealand Um, we're seeing a lot of people coming from south africa um, south america we're getting people now so people are coming It, it really is a worldwide audience and le mans is pulling people from everywhere now um le mans tradition is to camp um there are as we said before there's no five-star hotels in le mans the hotels that are in le mans are your basic kind of three-star slash four-star hotels um chain hotels and quite often those are taken by the teams and sponsors Mm -hmm. and never actually come on the market 
Um, we can do hotel rooms and we do travel destinations have worked hard working with lots of hotels um, in Le Mans and we have a very good relationship so if, if hotel rooms are what you want that's fine no problem but the the hotels will only sell um, for a, a certain number of nights mm-hmm. so you can't turn up for the Saturday and expect there to be you know Friday Saturday night and have a weekend rate no it's not going to happen at Le Mans for Le Mans week so the rest of the year by all means you can turn up and get a room for 60 euros or whatever it might be um, for the Le Mans 24 hours it's going to be you're going to probably have that room for the week um, it's going to be your room and if you've been listening to our previous preview programs there's plenty to do during that week and you'll get the, the value for money but we understand most people can't do the whole week um, and that's fine no problem so we offer a number of different options Let's start at the the basic option. Um, thousands and thousands of people will, will camp at the circuit. And when we're talking about camping, these aren't necessarily the idyllic French campsites you've seen on the TV where there's shops and there's um, a swimming pool and, and everything else. These are basic um fields if you like the rest of the year they are fields around the site around the circuit Le Mans is such a big circuit so much bigger than anything that um, say you've got in the states Mm -hmm. anything in the UK Um, it is um, such a big circuit and the thing that catches people out when they arrive is just the enormity of the circuit and you walk into some of those campsites and all you can see is tent car tent car tent car for Mm -hmm. as far as you can see Um, some of those campsites will have four or five thousand pitches Mm. in there so those are quite daunting those are quite scary but they are the most economical way of coming down there they're basic they have showers and toilets um and we um work with all of them um all of those sort of campsites are run by the aco by the circuit um but travel destinations as an official agent of le mans um can get you passes to camp in any of those um um, uh, campsites And if you want a mental image of what that sort of looks like, I always think about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire when people are showing up for the Quidditch World Cup and there are tents everywhere on grass, but not the magic. The magic's not there. The magic comes with the next level. Yeah, so then you've got um, still camping, um, still bringing your own tents and still bringing your own equipment, um, but we have private areas. So um, Travel Destinations is famous, I guess, now in Le Mans terms for having the Porsche Curves campsite. So this is trackside. We have our own viewing bank um, now at the uh, the rear of the campsite overlooking Porsche Curves. We have nice, clean, um, fully serviced showers and toilets. Um, and we have a hospitality marquee that does food and drink and things throughout the weekend. If you wanted, uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but you could just go to that campsite, you could stay there, you'll be fed, you'll be watered, you'll um, be clean, and you'll be out of view of the racing. So you could just go there for the whole weekend and um, enjoy yourself, and you'd have a great time in Porsche Curves. There's a great atmosphere, good camaraderie between all the all the guests, um, and, it's, and it's a really nice thing to do. Um, you have 24-hour security, so you know that your stuff is safe. The only people going in and out of that campsite are the people who are staying there, and they're all Travel Destinations customers. It's not sublet to anybody else. We know everybody who's in there, who's on what pitch, etc., etc. So, um, and our staff are around the the whole time to help out with any questions, where to go, what to do, um, where to view from, all these kind of questions. Our guys can help with um, why they're there. So that's still bringing your own tent. Um, so generally, you need a vehicle. Yeah. You know, you got all your gear, you got all your stuff, um, but. 
then there are people who um who are coming who may not want to drive mm-hmm. maybe they're flying in so we get a lot of people these days now who are flying in to Charles de Gaulle or even they're coming from the UK and they're coming on the Eurostar um, so they take the train from um, London to um, either Lille or Paris and then taking the train from there across to Le Mans. They arrive um, whichever way you go, whether you're flying into Charles de Gaulle and catching the train across or catching the train from uh, Montparnasse station in Paris straight across to Le Mans. You arrive at Le Mans station in Le Mans town. Then from there, you're going to walk out the front door and directly in front of you is the tram stop. Um, and you're going to get a, a, you buy a ticket from the machine, which is in multiple languages, so that's no problem. Um, and it's about one euro forty for a, um, uh, a ticket for the station into the centre of Le Mans circuit. Um, now this is where people get a bit confused um, because you arrive in the centre of the circuit in the tram, and you may not have even seen the track. Mm. So there is no, there is a front entrance to Le Mans, there is a main entrance to Le Mans, but we're not like, it's not like. Um, Sebring say not like Daytona not like Silverstone you're you're not necessarily going to go through that main entrance to get to the track and and because it's a street circuit there is no kind of big boundary around the circuit it's it's so you arrive in the center of the circuit on the tram and you so you step off and you're already in the middle of the circuit and there's people going everywhere in every which direction and it can be very confusing so we then have two other products that would work really well for people arriving on foot. Um, the first is our event tents. Now, our event tents is our glamping option. I think that's a worldwide term now, isn't it? it I is, mean, glamorous yes. camping. It's these are big tents. They're five meter diameter tents. They come carpeted. They come with beds. They come with mattresses. They come with all your bed linen. You just need to turn up with a bag with your toothbrush and a change of clothes and things. They're located down um, on our new area, just on the inside of the Porsche curves. Uh, they are um, they come with 24-hour security. You've got your showers and toilets again. You've actually got access to two different hospitality mm-hmm. marquees there. Um, you have access to all the Porsche curves area, and you also have a marquee um, that side of the circuit as well. So you've got a choice, um, and you can. It's a walk. If you're arriving on foot at the tram station to the event tent, it's probably a 20-minute walk. Um, I have a saying at Le Mans is wherever you are, it's a 20 minute walk to wherever you need to be because it always is. I don't know why. Um, it's just a freak of Le Mans. So um, it's a 20 minute walk from the tram station to there. But there are little um, circuit shuttles, mini trains, things that you can hop on and hop off if you don't want to walk it, if your bag's really heavy. Um, so the event tents are a really good option. They're becoming very popular and they sleep up to four people. So um, if you're coming with a family, if you're coming with friends, um, you can four of you can easily sleep in the tent. You can stand up in these tents. You know they're not crouching over tents. Um, so there's some good options there if you want to do the Le Mans tradition of camping. But there are those people who don't camp, and this is what this is you, Shay, isn't it? This is this is ideal for you. It's you think? so perfect. Okay, so this is our Flexitel village. Um, the Flexitel Village is sometimes called a pop-up hotel. Um, it, these are cabins that we build in the center of the circuit. Um, the first great thing about about these is if you're arriving on uh, on the train into the into the circuit on the tram into the circuit, is these are two three minute walk from the tram stop. So you literally come out, turn left, they're there. 
Um, it's it's a great location. It's within walking distance of everything. Now these are lockable bedrooms. Um, they if you're coming by car, you can also stay in these because they have a car parking pass, um, car parking space right next to them, so you can park your your car in a secure environment right next to your room. If you're walking in, it's it's two minutes from the tram. Um, so you, these rooms have got proper beds. Um, they've got all the bed linen. They've got windows. You've got a lockable door. Um, you're not on grass here so um, if it's wet it's not going to be muddy if it's dry it's not going to be dusty mm-hmm. um, and they're in their own little what would you call it an enclave of tree a tree-lined area um, that means that you feel in a kind of a different environment you're, you're on you, so. you're on the circuit but it's the hustle and bustle and everything the madness that's going on just a, you know uh, a few hundred meters away it's you're in a little oasis if you like in the middle of the circuit um now we have um up to 200 rooms in in the flexitel village and divided into these different areas um there's a hospitality marquee there are showers and toilets um we hope in and uh, from next year that we will also be able to offer ensuite rooms oh, wow. um with their own bathroom and things attached so that that'll be new for for 2016 so keep your eye out for those but otherwise there's there's separate shower and toilet blocks um and um, our staff are, are on site um, and we do barbecues we have good atmosphere down there and of course on friday on friday night we should say that the the, the whole radio Le Mans team decamp from your booth um you're allowed out to play we, we're let off the leash a <laughs> yeah, little bit. that's it and you're allowed to come down and join us for the barbecue so friday evening you'll be you'll, you'll pop into our porsche curves campsite as well i know and then you'll come along to the flexitel village so everybody staying in the flexitel village get to meet the crew these voices that you hear and you listen to avidly for all that all this time you can actually meet uh, these people and and you know what they don't bite either it's it's quite well, amazing they're well trained we we trim our claws a little bit for okay, that okay fair enough it yeah. is always fun to get to go to that and meet so many people from so many different countries and last year i know in particular there were a lot of americans there and we should point out that it's not just you get yourself to the airport and then you're you're on your own until you get to the track you guys help out a lot beforehand as well that's right we can we can do the whole thing you know we can book flights we can um, sort out the train for you um, um, the tram you have to pay on the on the door, but that's that's no problem. We we'll describe you exactly how it is. We provide you with a map and directions and how to go there and things. But we don't have to. I mean, there are some people who like booking their own flights. Maybe they're coming from different places in the states. They've got air miles to use. Maybe they're coming from Australia and they prefer to use their agent over there. And that's absolutely fine as well. So we can do just the accommodation and the tickets. Maybe we can provide grandstands. Um, we can provide hospitality. So we work very closely with one of our partners at Michelin. Um, or Michelin, depending on whether you're French or English. Um, and um, we have, so they have um, a, what they call their um, uh, their hospitality center overlooking um, the Ford Chicane, overlooking the track, and you can have um, its open bar, food, drink, and everything through the weekend, and you get behind-the-scenes tours. Um, you can do helicopter flights, everything in that. Um, 
And it's it's not the cheapest thing to do, of course, doing corporate hospitality, but it's very good value for what you get. So 24 hours of hospitality, you imagine how much food and drink you can do in that time. So um, <laughs> that, that alone, yeah, exactly. So uh, so that's good. Um, the pavilion there, that's what they call it. Um, it's, it's worth doing. So we can add everything so we can do as much or as little as you want. So if you want um, just the ticket and you just want to come in and see and you're staying elsewhere, then you can do that. Um, if you want tickets and grandstands, maybe you want travel as well we can do that car parking at the circuit if you don't want to stay at the circuit then there are other options as well so you know we've mentioned hotels but we also have b&b's we have chateaus um, we have camping away from the track so if the circuit is too intimidating and everything that goes on there is too much we have other options as well so we like to think we've got a program for everybody Um, and you know coming for the first time um, it's it's a daunting place and we're there to just make sure that you get to see and do everything that you want to do, as much or as little as you want, um, but you're staying in a product that's right for you so that you enjoy your weekend um, and you're not on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, we're there to help. No excuses for not going. And we should point out that there are other events that Travel Destination covers as well. And some of those are actually stateside. And, you know, if you maybe get a chance to go to the 24 Hours of Le Mans with Travel Destinations, maybe you'll find yourself at some other events. Well, that's right. You know, if you want to go in Europe, the Nürburgring, the Nürburgring 24, um, Spa, Francochamps. You know, I've literally just come back um, last weekend from the Spa Classic, which is a historic car meeting. But we're also there at the Spa 24. We're at Sebring, um, we're at Daytona, um, we're at Bathurst in Australia. So, you know, there are plenty of events worldwide. I guess at this point we should say, you know, you need to, to visit us. We have two different websites um, for everything Le Mans and all you need to know about Le Mans. Then please visit us at um, www.lemonsrace.com. Um, all the information is there and more. So of all the different options that we've talked about now. Um, but for other events as well, um, worldwide events, um, then uh, our website, traveldestinations.co.uk. So .co.uk, so traveldestinations.co.uk. We'll have all sorts of information on there um, about all the different events and all the different accommodations and options that are available there. But ultimately, we'd really like you to phone us. You know, we have um, 20 years worth now of knowledge of, of all these different events. And we can talk through to you. I often describe it a bit like a dating agency. We talk to you. We find out what you like, what you don't like. And then we put you with a product that you're going to enjoy. So, Shay, you're going to come to Le Mans. You're going to stay in the Flex Hotels. You're going to have a great time there. You're going to meet other like-minded people and you're going to see everything camping may not be for you that's fine that's no problem we'll find the right thing other people may come along and they've got a budget um they they camp a lot they just want to get the atmosphere of the circuit they want to be in the thick of it absolutely no problem we have that product as well so but when we talk to people we get that kind of form that kind of relationship get an understanding and we can find the right thing so have a look on the website make up your own minds give us a call We'll talk you through it and we can start making your bookings for you. And I have to say, um, bookings for Le Mans 24 will open on the Monday after the race. So you, although prices and um, crossings and travel won't be available at that stage, you can start putting your name down, get your get something reserved. Maybe you want a Flexitel, maybe you like the idea of glamping, maybe you like Porsche Curves or one of the other campsites. No problem. Have a look at the website as of Monday the 15th. 
reservations start to open. Nothing to pay first first few months. Well, we'll just take all your details and we reserve the, 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 the right product for you. And then um, deposits will be due um, later in the year, balances 10 weeks before. And because we're an ABTA and Atoll bonded company, it gives you the insurances that your money is safe. You're booking with a reputable um, travel company and we can do, like we say, as much or as little as you want. Um, and it's a, a year-round thing. It starts again Monday, so after the race. So uh, make sure when you're on your way back, get your laptop out, start having a look, start planning. You've got to start early with Le Mans. So, uh, but we're here to help and we're happy to help. So, yeah. Well, after your appetite's been whetted by the great race, I'm sure we're going to see uh, come June 13th and 14th. Get online on the 15th, start planning. No excuses not to come to Le Mans, and definitely no excuses not to come to Le Mans 2016, especially after we see what 2015 has for us. RadioLeMond.com it's Mobile One, Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM at the circuit and round the world at RadioLeMond.com. Uh, joining me, John Hindoff, is Shea Adam, one of our Nismo Pitlane reporters, and Graham Goodwin, as we look at the prospects at the sharp end of the 2015 Le Mans 24-hour field. It is the prototypes, and we're in to the meat of the field now with the three manufacturers who have have experience of the current regulations. And let's start this segment uh, lady and gentlemen, with the world champions. Toyota Racing have the one and the two car, the only one of the experienced, shall we say, manufacturers who haven't got the third bullet in the gun. The number one car is this year's iteration of the Toyota TSO40 hybrid for world champion Anthony Davidson and Sebastian Buemi. And Kaz Nakajima, remarkably, after fracturing a... Part of his back, a vertebrating his back in a very wet qualifying at Spa, it seems like yesterday, uh, has had it literally super glued together to aid its healing process. And Graham will be part of that team at Le Mans. Quite staggering. I think it was three weeks ago, John. I think it was three So less than a month ago. before the race. Or just on uh, a month, yeah. Yeah, and and you have to say was one of the quickest guys at the test day in conditions that weren't ideal. Uh, so, yeah, I'm afraid Kamui Kobayashi, who's the uh, nominated reserve driver, is going to be uh, grumpily sitting at the back of the garage with headphones on for much of the mm. week. Uh, no change there, Kamui. Uh, but it's <sighs> great to see Kaz there. This was his chance at a full season uh, shot at it. Unfortunately, because he missed the Spa race and because his teammates scored points, that means that uh, he cannot be world champion this year unless something utterly dramatic happens. Uh, but... Where are we with this team? Well, uh, the, the the car that was right up there and uh, nibbling at the, the, the heels of the very quick Porsche at the end of last season seems to have had an evolution that is not quite of, as revolutionary as its main contenders. But the, I, I'm not sure we saw the correct comparison at the test day. They're certainly off the ultimate pace. But what was probably more surprising at the test day, John, is they were off last year's pace. And yes. that's not something we expected to see because that's not what we saw from the other cars. No, uh, well, let's just talk about the car that they are using, the TSO40 hybrid. This is 
now the third iteration, really, of of that car in a very short time, indeed. Pretty close to uh, last year's championship winning car, but uh, a new crash structure uh, meant a redesign of the front end. The aerodynamics have changed again. Suspension has been reconfigured, extra weight cut out, uh, and 80% of the parts have been redesigned. Now, the... Toyota guys opted to stay in the six megajoule category for this year, Graham. They had well over a thousand horsepower. They admitted to one thousand horsepower from the three point seven V eight and their very clever super capacitor based system. That's how they store the uh, energy. It's transferred from kinetic energy under braking into electrical energy into the supercapacitor. And then when they uh, want to deploy it, it is very quickly available. They've stayed in that six megajoule category, Graham, but they've optimised everything so that they have got the full six megajoules, which having had a long chat with the guys at Prologue this year, it would seem perhaps they weren't quite at the full six uh, last year. Yeah, I think it marks a couple of things. Number one, they've made it clear this is the last year for the supercapacitor. And they have said also, sorry, I should say, Graham, sorry, the the reason they didn't go to the maximum eight, they had evaluated that, but the extra weight and the extra complexity of the systems made it difficult to justify, I think was the phrase that was used to me. And it's also, you know, as we were saying a little earlier in uh, in another... Um, regard it would have regarded uh, would have required far less of an evolutionary um, re-engineering of the car far more revolutionary because the cooling is completely different the weight distribution is entirely different Um, so you know it would have required a massive leap we are at the point where Toyota have just committed to three years with they have not yet counted out the one factor that, that I think will stand against the Toyota program this year which is two cars uh, they've not yet uh, counted out three cars for next year or the, or the subsequent year. And I think what they're being at the moment is quite conservative. I think they were surprised, though, John, um, that the conservatism they've shown was rather leapfrogged by the other two factory teams we yet to, to talk about. They have been looking pretty glum after Silverstone and Spa. That said, though, I don't think that's the whole story yet because I think Toyota are in the process of... Um, you know, putting a plan together that plays to their strengths. And by the very nature of a more mildly evil, evolutionary uh, approach, their strength could well be reliability. Yes, that is a fair point, And we'll tell you why when we speak about Audi and Porsche next. In terms of the driver's share, uh, Davidson, Buemi uh, and Nakajima. Davidson, Buemi reigning world champions, but don't have the Le Mans victory. Verts, a Le Mans victory, of course, but not with Toyota. Stefan Sarazan. And Mike Conway, uh, again, it's a um, uh, United Nations of driver talent there. And nothing wrong. In fact, you know, you can't criticise any of the works drivers. There's been some eyes, uh, eyebrows raised about some of the Porsche drivers and where they've come from, which we'll go into detail with when we get to them. But pick any one of those six and you would have them on your team immediately. Oh, Without a doubt. I mean, Ant Davidson is owed something at this point from Lamar. He's been there so many times. He's come so close. And in listening to some of the stuff we did last year from Lamar, he willingly said he would trade a world championship for a Lamar win. Well, now he has that world championship. He still does not have the Lamar win. He and Wemmy are hungry for this. 
They've been so, so close in the last two years. A third and, and a second. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, it, it could have been it could have been a Toyota race last year. It wasn't. But what we saw was that car charging back through the field, and particularly in the hands of Anthony, after its early wars with the accident, to, to get themselves a finish. It was picking yourself up by the bootstraps and dragging the car to a third place. Kaz Nakajima, on the other hand, is coming back from this horrible incident at Spa. If he comes back and the car does a DNF, that's not worth it. That is not worth it for him, personally. In the other car, though, you've got Alex Wirtz, who could be a three-decade three, uh, winner. He won in 96. He won in 09. He could win in 2015. And that would also be three different manufacturers. Exactly. So there is a chance for Alex to put his name on a list of records that is very unlikely to be broken. I'm sure he'll be delighted to uh, have you remind everybody that his career has lasted so long. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll avoid that one. Uh, but he's back with Stefan again. They've driven together for pff, a long, long time. And Mike Conway, who's the newcomer to the team. But Mike is not new to Le Mans. This is his second time here. The first time he was excluded, though, back in 2013. It was something with fuel flow, I seem to remember. He was in P2. Now he's in P1. This is a different experience. And we'll have to see how he adapts to that. I think... That car has the potential to be the winning car. The question is just Conway and how he handles now being in a P1. Uh, and the pressure that comes along with being a works uh, factory driver, Graham. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, Stefan Sarazen is just he's one of those guys, Nick Renazian's another, by the way, that there are very few sports car fans would, uh, would in any way uh, want anything other than see Stefan Sarazen's name on a winning car at some point at the Le Mans 24 hours. He's been such a big part of it for so many years. Should um, should mention that he, he, he spends his off time, um, and one of the reasons he stayed with Toyota Grimm, he was very much in demand at the end of uh, last season uh, by other manufacturers. He stayed with Toyota because he gets the freedom to go and follow his other passion, which is very high quality um, European and World Championship rally driving and in fact he won the Tour de Course outright uh, on Corsica at think, the end I of think last he's, year he's still I think he is still the Pirelli tyre tester for World Rally is, I think that's correct um, the Mike Conway uh, snippet Shay's absolutely right that Mike's uh, I think podium sitting car and it was the ADR Delta car, was excluded from the Mon. That was for fuel an incorrectly tank. sized fuel tank. You know, the fuel tank had settled in the chassis and held more than the permitted amount of fuel. It was uh, G-Drive. It, it was G-Drive, you're right. Yes. You're right. But that was run by um, Delta that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ba- bad luck, and nothing, nothing down to Mike uh, on that one. So Toyota then, world champions, with something to prove uh, at Le Mans, and reliability and familiarity in terms of the equipment on their side uh, they've got obviously as everyone else has got a new aero package which didn't seem to provide the goods at the test day but for Porsche it's been a bit more radical in how they're going about their racing this year with the uh their racing car is the 919 hybrid they have three of them two that are full season entries in the world championship uh, and those are the 17 and 18 cars 17 for Timo Bernard Mark Webber and Brendan Hartley uh, those guys have been uh, a, a driving trio for the full season that's going to be a red and white car the 18 car is Romain Dumas Neil Yanni and Mark Lieb 
And is that the black and white car? I think That's it the is. black car. Yes, it is. Yeah, the black car, right? Yeah. And the additional car uh, is the 19 car, uh, which is not in the championship. Nick Tandy gets pulled in from their GT programme. Uh, Earl Bamba gets pulled in from their GT programme. Uh, another... Um, New Zealander there, another Kiwi. And Nico Hulkenberg, who is currently, of course, gainfully employed as a Force India Formula One driver. So interesting on the driving talent, and I'll ask both of our guests uh, about that uh, in the mo- in a moment or two. But a word about Porsche's technology, Graham. This is a brand new chassis for 2015, an evolution of last year's car. But the big talking point here is that without adding any weight or indeed size, to the battery pack, which is how they store their hybrid energy in a uh, lithium-ion battery pack, basically a whole lot of, like, foam batteries banged together, if you like. Um, The 919 Hybrid has gone from a 6 megajoule category car to an 8 megajoule category car, and this is basically the pace of change. The pace of development of battery technology has allowed them to do that and to optimise, and don't forget they've got the smallest engine here, just a two-litre turbocharged engine um, in their car, where others are 3.7, 3 litres, and 4 litre for Audi's diesel. Uh, This has been a remarkable winter for Porsche, and a car that, aside from the Nissan, which we've only just seen at the test here, a car that is rocket ship quick in a straight line. Staggeringly quick in a straight line, as we saw... Um, in relation to the very quick Audi at Silverstone. I will come to the Audi's progression uh, in just a few mm. moments, I'm sure. But, I mean, the the, uh, the the way that car fires itself out of a corner, it's mind-bending. Um, an amazing job by the Porsche team uh, to come forward. And it forward. gets to its top speed so quickly, Graham. It's That's astounding. the thing. It's absolutely and It's an astonishing piece of kit. And uh, the only concern, I think, about this effort is... You know, that pace of change, they have had problems in each of the races so far with it, with these cars, and they're problems they can't afford to have this time around. They did show their uh, Le Mans Aero this time around. There's some interesting stuff, by the way, on the Race Car Engineering website about both Audi and Porsche with some trick uh, rear wing elements and uh, whether or not that's ultimately legal or not. They have passed scrutineering, so you've got to presume that they are. Haven't passed uh, scrutineering for Le Mans yet. Uh, not yet, they have As we talk were, right now. But they were scrutineered in time for the test day, of course. But um, what do we think? I think these things can be the quickest, uh, quickest cars on track. I think the battle for pole will be between Porsche uh, 17, Porsche 18, Porsche 19, and possibly an Audi. Uh, but certainly it looks to me as if the, uh, the Porsches have it in terms of potential overall pace. They've got a cracking driver lineup with the... Uh, the the full season crews bedding in nicely. Mm, uh, you know, I agree. In particular, the unlucky crew so far of Timo Bernhard, Mark <laughs> Webber, and Brendan Hartley are due a result. Mm. Uh, Roman Dumas, Neil Yanni, and uh, Mark Lieb have had the lion's share of the the points scoring finishes uh, in the year and a bit so far. Um, and Nico Hulkenberg uh, has impressed greatly thus far aboard uh, the number nineteen car. Nick Tandy. After the whoopsie we had from uh, from Nick at uh, at Spa, he was stunningly quick at the test day. Earl Bamba doing a good job too. Fred McAvicky, by the way, as a reserve driver across all three cars, should there be a problem. Um, 
They could do it. There's mm. no doubt they could do it. It's going to require more reliability than they've had and possibly just a little less pace. Mm. Um, you know, I think if they, if they have to turn the wick down a little to get to that, that point, I think that's a price worth paying. Last year, Sheer, and I'll put this to you because you were at the test day and I wasn't, Mission 2014, our return. That was the strap line. That was the mission statement, if you will, from Porsche. Almost seemed to me as Porsche and their motorsports department and vice act saying, um, we've come back, but we're not making a big fuss about it. Don't expect us to do anything. Which I completely understand, but with a name like Porsche that is so successful at Le Mans, still has the most outright victories on 16, although they've been closed down on by Audi, and I wonder how much the decision for them to come back into LMP1 was uh, predicated on the fact that another brand and another in-house brand was, was closing down on that record. This year, it seems a bit more loud. It seems a bit more we're here and we don't care who here. We're Porsche, we're Vysak, we're back and we're proud, rather than the mission kind of thing that they did last year. Now, you've seen them now operating at Le Mans. I saw them at the prologue, and they didn't care how fast they went at the prologue. They didn't care how fast they went at Le Mans. Do you sense a change after the polls and the victory that they got last year, which perhaps they might not have expected? Do you sense a change in their attitude? I think there was going to be the change no matter what happened last year. It was, we're coming back, we're going to earn our place to be here, we're going to do what we can and quietly go about it, but 2015, we want to win. Because 1998 was a very long time ago for them to start saying it's been 16 years. It's been 16 wins. Mm. Now they've got to say we've been saying it's 16 wins in a record for a very long time. We should probably <clears throat> work on fixing that. They want to be able to say 17 after this year, and they don't care who hears. They don't care who they intimidate. They just want to get the win. It's interesting, Graham, isn't it, that we've got the the Toyota and the Porsche teams both absolutely seeing that a win is what we're there for and nothing else will do. Toyota have said, yes, we've won the World Championship, but we felt we should have won the race last year. Uh, Porsche have said, right, we've had our learning year, if there is such a thing, and there's a a word you wouldn't necessarily expect to hear from Porsche Motorsport um, at any level uh, of motor racing, but now we're back to win as well. There's a, a steely determination from the Porsche team that... And I think puts a little bit more pressure on them this year. Yeah, well, nobody visiting them on this year is going to be in any doubt what the mission is because the entire back of the grandstand is covered in Porsche, I would say billboards, but they're, they're massive banners, uh, four or five of them, that cover the whole of the rear of the grandstand again, again this year, more mm. so than last year, actually, John. Um, but uh, I, it's a massively impressive effort. I'll say one note of downer on this i'd like to see them do it with a bit more of a smile um it tends to be something we see in lmp1 we saw it with peugeot it took a while for them to realize that you know to be professional to be top class you don't have to be quite that intimidating and certainly not quite that intimidating to the outside world rather than just your competition i'd like to see a little bit more of a smile on the porsche's faces i'd like to see them enjoying the competition rather more than... The, the moment, it's a bit corporate. And, OK, that goes along with the, with the language of Porsche. Um, it, it suits that, that brand, if you like. But if Audi can do it, and Toyota can do it, 
and sure as heck Nissan are doing it. Um, yeah. I'd like I'd like to see a bit more of. I want when I say sense of fun, I don't mean we'd like a ball pool in the garage uh, or a bouncy castle outside your hospitality. Although Nissan do have a slide, they do have a slide, um, and yes, they really do have a slide. Uh, the I'd just like to see it with just a bit more of the atmosphere that I know the WEC are looking to uh, to encourage. Uh, the, the same goes a little to some of the other factory teams because as the competition's coming up and the potential for giving away a secret or two, there's a few more blankets over parts. and, and Yeah, but uh, Porsche you know, have built a huge parts. wall at the back of that pits in, in some of the early WEC races and I, I just think that's bang out of order. Shit. But I think all three of the, the existing factory teams have done something similar, and I think that's one downside. It's something certainly I'll be lobbying hard for for a bit more access. The not smiling thing, though, Graham, goes exactly with the 2014 Armishna return. They wanted to do something to prove that they belong to be there. And then if they win this year, I think we would see more smiles on their faces because it, well, not only would be a win at Le Mans, but it would mean that they had established their right to be there. And I think that's part of the seriousness. They feel like they need to earn their place. Well, I think what they did last year was very interesting because I do think it was hard for them to come back into a set of regulations as competitive and as different from when they were last there as a works team. You can't have Porsche at Le Mans without expecting them to be favourite in whatever category that they, or one of the favourites at least, in whatever category that they enter. So I understand perfectly last year, and I think it was actually quite clever by them, because there was, you know, had they won Le Mans last year, they won, they had pole positions and they won a race last year. They Honestly, that outperformed what they really expected to do last year. Honestly, I really believe that, having spoken to the guys from the factory. I, I don't want this to come across as a criticism of any individual because it's not. They've got some guys that have been incredibly good yep, at engaging. You know, Mark Webb has been fantastic. So has Timo. Sport. Absolutely. Timo's been, been stunningly good as well and always has been, hasn't he, really? It, I want to see a bit more of what we've seen of the atmosphere around the GT team in the LMP1 team. That's yeah, what I want yeah. to see. No, no, I, I want I, these guys to want to enjoy telling their story. And, you know, I want to get to the point, John, where we're not at the point where we were with Persia when they came in, which is, had they won in the early years of their Le Mans programme, there would have been a lot of people, you know, neutral bystanders, not Audi fans, that would have thought, actually, I wish that hadn't happened. And that's, a, that's an awful thing to say. I know But that genuinely is the way that people felt because they went about it in a kind of fairly corporate and intimidating way. You know, there's been this massive online debate, a lot of which I massively disagree with, about comparisons of other forms of motorsport. And what have I said time and time again? Sports car racing needs to find its own niche and just exploit what it's good at. It's good at being accessible. It's good at explaining these things. It's good at actually caring about the fans. That's the lesson, the only lesson that Porsche need to learn because at the moment, everything else about that effort is stunningly world-class. And if Porsche then are the people who have the history in the past, the people who own the recent history, and by that I mean the last decade and a half and a little bit more, are the four rings of Audi, the Ingolstadt-based team in terms of the Ingolstadt-based manufacturer in terms of their car production now at Neuburg, the new home of Audi Sport and settled in to that had, other than this race last year, 
2014 that they could well forget. Both cars went out of the first round of the FIA World Endurance Championship at Silverstone 2014. And frankly, things didn't get very much better. They did about four or five chassis in the first half of the season. And it was just a horrible season. The bright spot on the horizon was that they won Le Mans. For 2015, the backbone, the spine, the basis of the R18 hybrid has Etron uh, Quattro, to give it its full name, has remained the same. The engine, although it's had a little bit of tweaking, is still a 4-litre diesel. The flywheel-based hybrid system is pretty much the same, except they have moved up from 2 megajoules to 4 megajoules, and they've done that not by just increasing the size of the flywheel. That wasn't possible. They have had to redesign and optimise every single component down to the fact that they have looked at the efficiencies of the windings on the electric motor. But what else they have done, and more significantly, and think back to what we were talking about with Nissan, is they have, whatever they tell you, taken a different philosophy, a different look at the aerodynamic regulations. Perhaps predicated by the nightmare that they were having in the early part of last year, for that is when this project started. Before Le Mans 2014, the very clever people at the aerodynamic department at Audi Sport pleaded, begged, put proposals together to do something slightly in a different way. And to prove, if you like, that there was nothing wrong with their choices of the diesel engine with the flywheel hybrid system. Um, And... Well, frankly, it seems like that hard work, that different view, Graham, has made a massive difference because at Spa, the two full-season cars ran with the new aero kit for Le Mans, which embraces fully this new direction for Audi, to the point where I don't think they'll go back to the high high downforce kit for the rest of the WEC season. It was outstanding. It was stunning. And it was fast in the middle part of Spa, where you would expect the higher downforce cars to rule. This is is Audi doing the impossible again, finding uh, less drag, but giving themselves still great downforce numbers. Well, let's let's put it in these terms. Toyota certainly have made a step. It's a, an evolutionary uh, and a smallish step, but a step. Porsche, who were already the quickest car in the WEC last year, made quite a big step. And in particular, with the way that car could put the power down and getting as quickly as it did to its top speed. Audi, uh, well, from being almost laughably off the straight line speed pace last year, and with grip that whilst it was better, Handling and grip that was better than uh, some of the uh, the competitors certainly was not on a completely different planet. Managed two enormous feats, as far as I'm concerned. At Silverstone, that thing just—I have no idea how they did it. I mean, uh, the, the the grip that that thing could could put down, the the handling of that car in the tight and twisty bits compared to the other P1 cars was in a different league. It might just as well have been, you know, LMP zero as LMP1 uh, compared to the cars for the twisty bits. Then you get into any kind of straight uh, part of the track and away the Porsche would go. Then we come to Spa, where the car came along with a fundamentally different aero approach Mm. than we'd seen uh, at Silverstone. And what did we see, John? We saw all of that straight-line speed advantage 
completely negated, um, negated with precious little uh, to suggest that they'd lost terribly much by way of their advantage in the twisty bits. Um, I I don't know who they're employing um, at Neuburg, but my guess is he's got a tall pointy hat and a white beard and sprinkles stuff over it because it just looked like someone had just created magic. It was absolutely one of the most amazing transformations of a car's performance parameters that I've ever seen from race to race. Uh, quite magnificent. Will we see the um, the kind of the Silverstone spec car again? That remains to be seen. It's certainly, I think, one of the questions we'll be asking when we get to the on for race week. But what we saw at Silverstone, and in particular what we then saw at Spa, transformed an also-ran car at the end of last season into the car that I have to tell you right here and right now is absolutely my, if not runaway favourite for this race, uh, it's certainly you know, a major, major contender. Jan Monshaw uh, is the man that we are talking about, and he used to be at Toyota. And we know how Toyota, how clever uh, Toyota were with their uh, aerodynamics in the early years. And he is now the man who is heading up uh, this particular uh, project. Um, And I think you're right. I think he is a wizard. The... Teams, in terms of drivers, share nothing unexpected here. The seven and eight car are the full season entries in the FIA World Endurance Championship. So that's Hop Suisse, Marcel Fesler, always, I think, underrated. Andre Lotterer, always, I think, very fast. And Benoit Trelluere, always just doing what Ben does very well, which is go very fast. There's no weak link in that car at all. In the second car, Lucas de Grassi, still no Brazilian, stood on the top step of the 24 hours of Le Mans. Oli Jarvis, effectively the new boy into that team this year, uh, not without some issues uh, uh, this year, but Oli is a fighter and he will work through them. And Loic de Val, um, well, you know, another fast Frenchman. In the nine car, which is the extra car for Le Mans, Felipe Albuquerque, one of my favourite people and another friend of Midweek Motorsport. Marco Bonanomi, who was touted for quite some time as the next Dindo Capello and indeed was reserve driver uh, to Dindo and Allen for a couple of years. And Rene Rast, who is an interesting choice because uh, he would be thought of as a Porsche guy from his GT experience. Pick the bones first of all out of that nine car, if you would, for me, Shea. Well, the nine car is one that intrigues me the most because Rene and Philippe, I've known from before they were Audi big time factory. I knew them back when they were still running at Daytona back in uh, 2013 and no one was even looking at their car. Little mistake that somebody made. Philippe went on to win that year with Ollie Jarvis uh, in the car and quiet, down to earth, very soft spoken, but funny and fast. You put him behind the wheel of anything, you can pretty much guarantee yourself a podium. Except last year didn't go so well for his debut at Le Mans. He didn't even get to drive the car because there was an accident with Bonanomi at the wheel, unfortunately, at the time. So they were taken out very early. They were favorites, though. They were thought to be a dark horse to come in. And among Audi, that takes some skill. Rene Rast, what can you say about Rene? He's won everything. He's a Super Cup champ. He's a Carrera Cup Deutschland champ. He's a a Carrera Cup... uh, France, I believe he raced over there for a few years as well. Rene has been quick in everything, and this is his chance. He knows it. He appreciates that, and he is going to do everything he can to help support 
his two teammates because he is the most recent to this mm-hmm. P1 program. He's not going to try and go out and be the superhero. He's just going to do what Audi asks him to do. Uh, Graham, the, the number eight car, if I work backwards, Degrassi, Duval and Ollie Jarvis. Uh, this is a, a relatively new uh, driver lineup for these guys, but they've gelled very, very quickly. They have. They've got a little way to go. I mean, rather oddly, all three of them started their first um, uh, race in an Audi LMP1 in 2012. But uh, their, their accession, if you like, to the throne of full seasondom has taken place over a three-year period with Lucas Degrassi replacing uh, Alan McNish and then Ollie Jarvis coming in this season for the retiring, uh, it's not often you can say that about uh, uh, Tom Christensen, uh, Mr. Le Mans. Yeah, you said um, retiring, not shy and retiring, I noticed. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, but it's, it is gelling. It's going to take some time to just get to where they need to get them to, but this is work in progress from Audi Sport. This is the way that Audi Sport have always done it. Shay mentioned Reddy Rast. That, I believe, by the way, must be one of the most prized seats anywhere in motorsport. The other one mm-hmm. is the one that Oliver Jarvis has got because he's, in effect, made that jump from the, the 9 to the 8 car from, uh, you know, the uh, additional car to the full-season car. But, you know, there would be a lot of people looking at future plans here uh, with Audi Sports. Uh, the 8 car, they need to be clean. You've got Loic Duval, who is obviously a previous world champion with a Le Mans win under his belt, uh, Lucas Degrassi, you're quite right, John, will be looking to be that, 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 that first Brazilian with his name on that famous trophy. And Oliver Jarvis uh, knows that now is his time. Um, I know Paul Truswell rates Oliver extremely highly, and that's, a, that's a, as good, I think, a, a guide to potential form and actual behind-the-scenes form as you can possibly hope to get. Uh, I think that crew will be there and thereabouts. Uh, are Audi going to play the tortoise and the hare? And if they are, which is going to be the yeah. hare? We've seen Alan McNish play that uh, that role in the past. But which car are they going to get to get into the hunt and get in amongst the Porsches if they can? Which of those three? My guess is they're going to ask the nine to do it. Well, interestingly, I think it's the car we haven't spoken about, the seven. I think Fesler, Lotterer and Trelluere, as the senior partnership, will be entrusted with... And, by the way, there's three other people we have to talk about in the Audi effort. It's similar for the other teams as well, but for Audi, possibly even more so. And those three people are Matthias Huber, Justin Taylor and Lena Gade, who are the three engineers for the three car working backwards from the 9-8 and the 7. And the reason I mention that is that Lena Gade's favourite thing, and it's now passing into motorsport uh, usage on an everyday level, is push without risk. And Fesler, Lotterer and Trelluere are the masters, all three of them, of push without risk. And I think, if I was to put money on it now, I would say Fesler will start the car and will be the guy that they say, right Marcel, get along, the, get into the Porsches. If it's not him, it'll be Lotterer. One of those two would start the car. And I think that they have confidence in those guys enough. Uh, world champions, of course, um, that car uh, in the past. The I think they have confidence enough and uh, belief in them enough, Graham, that they would set them that task. Well, let's put it this way. I mean, for uh, of the three of them, I think that we have this kind of informal thing about who's the daddy in P1. And for, for many years, it was kind of it was Alan McNish. And then we got into, was it McNish or Davidson? And then Lotterer. You know, Lotterer, I think many people would see uh, alongside perhaps, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Davidson and 
possibly, at the moment, Neil Yanni as the three fastest guys over a single lap in LMP1. Oh, I'm going to uh, say, I'll, I'll throw Bohemi into that. Oh, fair enough. And I think that's that's perfectly fair comment. Uh, of the three of them, though, Marcel Fesler is the one you want when there's a bar fight. Not in reality, because he's a very quietly spoken man with several children, and he doesn't do that sort of thing. But don't let uh, uh, let us forget that Marcel Fesler came to the Audi LMP1 effort from being a top-class GT driver, uh, both for Audi and for Corvette Racing for a season as well, uh, in the factory Corvette team. So we saw that again at Silverstone, is that Marcel, not afraid to go wheel-to-wheel uh, with these guys. Uh, ben Wattrelluay, I would characterise as being the Iron Man. He's the man you put in there when you need someone to basically drive for 23 and a half hours uh, <laughs> and only use one set of tyres. And he is the magic man of the three. Uh, he's the one that just pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes. And then they basically scoop him out into a bowl when he's done. Um, and th- the three of them together, John, you and I, when we're in our dotage, sitting there with a pint of mild... And talking about that there, there, Tom Christensen, I remember him. Uh, you know, we are going to look back and those three names will trip off the tongue in exactly the same way Completely as Ix and Bell and as, as Capello, McNish and Christensen. I agree. Right there, right there is a classic endurance racing trio for the ages. But here's something as we begin to wrap up and I'm going to ask you for some, um, for some winners in a moment. You can say that of every one of those factory teams has somebody or at least one like that. If you go to Porsche, Timo Bernard, Roman Dumas, uh, and by the way, Mark Lieb. Oh, and by the way, Neil Yarny. Yep. And by the way, Brendan Hartley. And by the way, Mark Webber, for whom it all came together towards the end of last year. And now he really gets it. He feels like he's contributing and he's now settling into this car and driving the wheels off it. And he's not giving up any pace at all and that's to bad anybody. news for everybody else isn't it that, that is that, hugely that, bad right. and that's exactly what I meant John when I said about the getting your smile back it actually even you'll remember when Alan Mitnish came back from his F1 sojourn it took a while it just took a little while for him to dial himself back into the to the discipline of sports car racing but once he'd found you know that that team dynamic Again, it didn't take very long, but once he'd found it, it just gave him another level. And I think that's what we're seeing from a number of the people in the Porsche uh, team as this starts to come together. Uh, And, you know, I think more than anything, the technology is great. The pace of the cars are great. A couple of the liveries are rubbish. I'm looking at you, Porsche. Um, <laughs> you know, please stop putting the ridiculous writing on the cars. And by the way, you know, I'm terribly sorry, but the Austrian flag on the red car doesn't have pink on it. Um, so please stop putting ridiculous writing. It's a fantastic livery. Use it. Um, but uh, that aside, it's the team dynamic that quite often does it as well. And when you see these guys with the ladies and gentlemen on the pit wall working absolutely as one that is a fantastic thing to see winner share um i had an initial feeling of the 18 when i got into test day but i'm going to go with the 19 and i'll give you a surprise nissan will finish in the top five Ooh, that is right okay. now is that down to the car itself or do you think the porsche have got the best package this year in watching the cars leave pit lane just the sense of aggression from each of them. Toyo used to be the most shocking when mm-hmm. it would pull out from its pit box. The Porsche blew me away this year. Okay. They have such initial speed. Okay. Uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Winner for Le Mans 2015 is who? 
my well my Nissan moment is uh, I can't see all three cars getting to the finish it's very very early I'd love to see two come home and wherever they finish as long as it's reasonably competitive I think that's as good as a win for them this year and I hope they do because they darn well deserve it for me it comes down between probably three cars John I know I do this every time it's that seven Audi uh, which I think is just a machine at every level and I'm going to see the two Toyotas uh, I don't think Porsche this year are going to have the ultimate reliability it's going to take to get this done. I think they've relied possibly a little too much on the ultimate pace and not on the ultimate package. We've seen too many niggles over six hours from the new car uh, for me to kind of see that car as not finishing this race without delay. Um, I think it's either the Audi on raw pace mm-hmm. uh, or it's the Toyota's by playing the waiting game. And for me, if I had to choose one over the other, it would be the number one car. I agree with what you're saying with Porsche, but for a different reason. Porsche won't win this year for the same reason that Peugeot didn't win all those years. They're putting too much pressure on themselves. And because of that not smiling thing, because of that we now have to come and do it, they will make bad decisions and they will put their drivers in situations that they shouldn't be put in. And I think that is Porsche's biggest problem. But this is Porsche's race to lose, I think. Honestly, I really do. I think that car is very good. be very, very good. And I think the package is the best. Um, I think Porsche will beat themselves if they're not too clever about it this year or should I say turn that round if they try to be too clever I think they could beat themselves I think they need to not fall into the trap of saying here's our tactic we're going to stick to it all the way through and let's be honest we've seen that of Peugeot in the past as well at Toyota from the heart I would love to see Toyota Racing win this with the TSO 40 hybrid a recent change in the very top end of management has meant the man who brought the cars back here has moved on upwards uh, in the Toyota organisation. But I have no doubt that he will be there to watch the cars and it, it would be a very emotional victory. But Spirit of, Spirit of Le Mans Award for him this, this year. That's what's happening. Oh. Uh, he is getting the Spirit of Le Mans Award, Kinoshita-san. Uh, uh, yeah, Kinoshita-san, who, is, who started his Le Mans career back in the TSO 10 days as an engine technician and has risen up the company to I think he's now a vice president of something he's been promoted out of the motorsport department into the the body of Toyota um, and that is entirely uh, applicable for a man who lives and breathes Toyota and long distance motor racing um, I earlier on this season the FIAWEC that Graham and I cover for TV um, made the most horrendous and frankly rookie of error and I doubted the gate. Lena Gade. Don't doubt the gate. Never John. doubt the gate. And therefore I go with the seven car. Uh if I was going to pick one of them. I have a feeling that uh, that will be the car. I don't think they'll do it on stealth. I think they'll do it. If they're going to do it, they'll do it from the front. They will do it fighting. They will do it in a way that we would all like to see this race won. I do think that we could be in for another Three car- You could have three, four cars on the same lap after 24 hours. It could be another 13-second victory. However, it could be five laps as well because if it all goes wrong for one manufacturer, it's likely to go wrong for all of their cars because they may have got something terribly, terribly wrong. I want to see a clean race. I'd kind of like to see a dry race. I'd love to see a fast race because if we do, records could go this year right across the board. What we are going to see is 
I know I say this almost every year, but this year I really believe... I hope we're not let down. I hope we're not building it up too much. But frankly, it's a great event anyway. And whatever happens, whoever is the 2015 Le Mans 24-hour winner will have earned it with a field of cars at the front of the field that is as competitive as this. And of course, you can hear it all throughout race week on 91.2 FM, Mobile One Radio Le Mans, and of course, around the world at RadioLeMans.com. We'll have details of our race coverage on XM and Sirius Satellite Radio closer to the time. Keep your eyes on our website for that. My very great thanks for joining me for these three programmes to our Nismo, one of our Nismo pit lane reporters, Shea Adam, and to Graham Goodwin, editor of Daily Sports Car. Dot com. You've heard Graham and I say this at every WEC race and every opportunity this year. If you're not going to Le Mans this year, why not? Make the decision now. Get in the car and drive. You can sleep in your car for two nights because you will want to, at the end of this year, be able to say when you speak in 5, 10, 20 years' time that you saw the 2015 Le Mans race from trackside. At 91.2 FM, this is Mobile One, Radio Le Mans for 2015. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.